Welcome back to The Good Stuff, Cliff Central's very own happy hour with myself, Brent Lindekew, the good news guy. It's Tuesdays, and uh, today is actually like a Monday, actually, because it's only a four-day week, and we had a bit of a long weekend, which was a bit epic. I absolutely love Tuesdays. I get to hang out with all of you guys, bring you The Good Stuff news stories, uh, get to bring you really inspirational stories from people all around the world, and plus we have the lovely Nikki in studio. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. What's happening, Nix? Hey, I'm good. Thanks and you. It's good to have you in studio. Today, we're going to be chatting about all the stuff that we regularly do. Uh, we're concentrating on Africa as a whole. Um, I think I want to steer away from Women's Day because there, there's too much controversial. I don't know if you've seen all over social media. No, I actually haven't. What's, what's going down? Oh, what's happening with your voice? It's okay. I'm, I'm on recovery. I'm in recovery. She's in recovery. Uh, Nikki had a hectic weekend in Durban. I did, but can I just say that that isn't why I have a bad voice. Don't believe it. I, I was already sick on the drive down to Durban on Friday. I saw the photos. Okay, maybe it didn't contribute to helping, but it, it definitely isn't the reason for it. Uh, we'll get into that now. Uh, we'll be also be doing our regular catch-up with the top five good news stories that Nikki will bring us. Uh, and also, a little bit later on the show, we've got David Brown from Jam, who is joining us in studio, helping Africa help themselves. We'll be chatting about what he does and what his... What his... What do we call it? What his... Uh, charity does? I was like, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Initiative. That. That's <laughs> First the word. word, second word. Second word. This is like charades. <laughs> what his initiative does and also, um, some of the projects that they're currently involved in. Plus, the Panda Crew are, are popping in later. The Panda Crew are an amazing, also initiative in South Africa, but it's something that we can get involved in. They're going to give us a couple of ideas and tell us what projects they're also <laughs> working on. Um, the reason I chose Africa for the show, uh, yesterday was Women's Day, but there's a whole bunch of stuff on social media where people People are saying that Women's Day has lost what it's meant to be. Like it's meant to be a celebration of women, but uh, women don't exactly have all the rights that they're supposed to have in most of the, the world. So what's the point of celebrating it if if they're not on that it's, level? Yeah, it's not on a par with anything else and we're celebrating them, but then the rest of the year they're just... Yeah. I heard a couple of things. Um, I mean, like the the ANC Women's League was saying that they want a woman president to come into power and it's time. But in the same breath, uh, they put Tuli Madasena down in every chance they get. And that's like our, our only hope at the moment. Yeah, they... So contradicting themselves exactly so so i don't want to be talking about that we want to focus on the good stuff um there's a lot of good stuff happening in africa and that's what we're going to get to uh, i did a, a bit of research which is flippin scary and this is something that that we can concentrate on almost half the world half of our planet that's 50 percent it's like three billion people um live underneath the the poverty line uh, so they either live on zero or up to two and a half dollars a day two and a half dollars a day okay What's the exchange rate nowadays? Like ten, let's just work on 10 because 10, 10 sounds ten's like easy. 10 is easy. It's like 25 rand a day. Um, and those are the lucky ones. If you look below the poverty line, if you look at the actual statistics of South Africa, 21% of South Africans live completely in poverty, which means they do not eat every day. Yeah, that's hectic. It's pretty crazy. And then another 53% of South Africans um, basically have to choose whether they're going to take a taxi to work or eat lunch. Yeah. You know, the you statistics can't imagine, are bad. You can't imagine being one of those statistics, can you really? 
Yeah, I don't. It's 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 shocking. But that's why we've got people coming into the studio. They're going to be talking about the good stuff that they're doing for Africa. Um, did you know it was that bad? Um, I didn't know. It's a shock to, for for such a high percentage. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, obviously, you know that there is a percentage of people that are that that are living that kind of lifestyle. Although I don't think lifestyle is the right word, but you know what I mean. I know exactly what you mean. I think the reason why we all know it's there, but and and this is the kind of example that I have. I'm pointing a pen at you, like I I'm know. A I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I think for for us that are living in the world, we kind of look at it. I look at it like going on an island holiday to Mauritius or to Zanzibar or to wherever that island is. Majority of these islands, the, the poverty is quite visual. You can see it. Yes. So you land at like a really crappy airport. At Zanzibar, you land at the airport and they've got um, a, a, a big table, like a long table. And then you have to point at your luggage, which is on a big mountain of luggage. And you have to point at your luggage and go like the blue bag's mine. And then a person pulls out your bag and they give it to you. It's, the, it's, it's and like not all fancy and yeah, so, there's not like a little conveyor belt. No, and then you climb onto a bus and you drive through the city of like poverty. It's it's poverty. You can properly see it's like driving through a location, and then you get to your hotel, and your hotel is beautiful. Yeah, you <laughs> yeah, my pen's a thing. It's beautiful. You sit in this beautiful hotel and you get served cocktails, yeah, and it's like like you, five million star luxury. And then you drive back through the poverty to get to the airport and go. And that's what the world is like. We don't, we don't realize the poverty. We're all yeah. living in a hotel. Yeah, I know it's true. You, I suppose you kind of got the blinkers on a little bit as well. Like you don't, I don't know, maybe you don't want to see it. So you don't see it as well. Agreed. But also I think, you know, in, in South Africa, it's, um, it's, it's not hidden, but equally, you know, depending on where you stay, you're not necessarily exposed to it every day. Either. Coming from England, is there, is there a lot of poverty in England? Not to the extremes of here, I wouldn't say. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, obviously not everybody lives the high life or anything like that. And we have the full range and obviously we have homeless people that have got no money and all sorts. But again, I think it depends where you stay. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very privileged in terms of where I was from and you don't really see that where I'm from. Like you don't really get homeless people sitting on the side of the road and stuff like that. I'd like to hear from my listeners. If you guys have got any, um, anything to add, I want to hear from your region in the world. Uh, a, a lot of our majority of our listeners outside of South Africa are from Ireland. So if you guys want to get in touch, you can uh, get hold of us on Facebook, Wycliffe Central, WeChat, Wycliffe Central, uh, Twitter, Cliff Central, Brendan DeQ, or you can give us a call on 0861 Next, why the hell were you in Durban? Um, I was there, I was for work, so it wasn't all play, it was some work first, although it was quite cool because obviously the rugby was on there, so that was quite cool. I didn't... Did you go to the game? I didn't go to the game, no, but I did watch it, um, although I suppose that it should be something that we glaze over because South Africa had such a bad loss. <laughs> yeah, it was um, bad. But, it, but no, the, vibe, like the whole vibe of Durban was cool because it was so busy, and obviously we went out on the Saturday night, and it was just busy everywhere. I can imagine, because it, it was because when they have a big rugby game like that, everybody heads to that stadium into that area so were the bars and the nightlife quite busy yeah it was hectic i mean we went to it's it's the first time i've been out in durban so forgive me if i call a place wrong but um florida road right that's, that's like florida the, road yeah. yeah so we went on florida road to start off with and then we headed to tiger tiger which was hectic busy like we queued for probably about 20 minutes to get in wow yeah that's crazy um just on that note so our rugby team didn't do great stuff but there's something that south africans might not know 
We have a deaf rugby team. Really? Like non-hearing. And they played against the best deaf rugby team in the world on Saturday. Okay. Uh, in Pretoria. Uh, it was against Wales. Okay. And, and we literally nearly won. It was like closer than the actual game. They're the deaf Springboks. That's what they call them. Um, and they play again on Wednesday, which is quite exciting. Oh, that's cool. I didn't even know that. So if you want to watch a, a better game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where, where the Springboks might actually win. Although I did say, like, obviously, probably going to get slated for this, but I'm not a Springbok supporter, obviously. I am still an English supporter. I Please do leave England the studio immediately. Um, but... I did, you know, maybe, maybe this is the Springboks tactic, you know, with the World Cup just around the corner. What they're doing is they're like lulling the other teams into like a self, a, a false sense of security in terms of that they're going to go to the World Cup and they're going to be like, oh my God, they're so crap. Like we're going to beat the Springboks and then they're going to be like, Wapa! I think maybe that could be a good strategy. And if it is, I'm going to be angry that you gave it away on air. Well, if it is, then I'm going to be like totally called that. <laughs> <laughs> mad, mad, mad. All right. So I did, uh, I did tell all the listeners that we'd catch up on, on what went down at Opikopi, which I went to over the weekend. The first time, um, that I've ever been to a festival like that. And it was amazing. It was good fun. See, it's not something that appeals to me personally. I know that you did the more glamorous side of Oppie, so I could, do, I think I could do that. Like I could do the way that you did it is fine. I could not do the like staying in a tent, the showers, the, yeah. the bathroom. Oh, it Look. makes me feel a little bit queasy just thinking about it. To be honest, <laughs> I can't. Um, they, I, I, I don't know if there was hot water, but at like 5 p.m. on Friday afternoon, um, the closest bathroom to where we were standing was like a communal shower bathroom, but, but, but whatever it was. And there were people, it's, it's all outdoors. So it's under no shelter. It's, it's like a pop-up bathroom. <laughs> and there were a whole bunch of people busy showering and cleaning themselves. And there was a whole bunch of fat nakedness going on yeah. around everywhere. It wasn't great. It, I mean, that, that wasn't for me, but that's it. So we did the whole glamping thing. Uh, we stayed at a guest house just down the road. So I got to experience all the bands and sort of be there and all the people. But then I got to go home, shower, climb into a warm bed, yeah. watch a bit of TV, have a, proper food, yeah. a proper toilet. Yeah. So it was, th- that was a, a nice side of it. Although when I was there, I did believe that, um, a good, I'd say 30 to 40% of the party is where the bands are. And everything else is where the camping is. Yeah, but I suppose that's where everybody's socializing, isn't it? So it's like when you're, when you're drunk or whatever, and you go back there and you're like, hey, and then you just make friends. And then I suppose, sort, you know, you could be making a friend for life, so to speak. Do you know what I mean? Like someone that you've never met before from somewhere else. And then you're like, wow, somebody new. Like I say, not for me. Um, <laughs> to me, like the showers, like it would have to be a scalding, boiling shower for me to get in there because I just feel the warm water is just breeding more, more germs and st- oh no, sorry. Wow, wow, they were really cool bands. Uh, we don't want to put you off. Uh, Nikki, Nikki doesn't like it at all. No, like I say, I would like to go for the experience in but terms of seeing the bands and stuff, but I would definitely, st- I wouldn't do the camping. Nah, I'm not a camper. Sorry. Not a camper. Not a camper. Um, it's exciting. And, and I think it's something that everybody should try at least once. Uh, but do it for, do it like I did. It's a yeah. lot, it's a lot easier the way that I did. Yeah. No, I think I would definitely do glamorous oppie, not camping oppie. 
For sure. Next, this is the good stuff, and uh, and we're all about the good stuff, and we have reached that time in the show when um, we need to ask you to put your best English accents on. <coughs> Are you ready? Just clearing my throat. All right, so Nikki, our very English good news correspondent, bringing us the good news. That's your cue, yo. I, I, I got it. I was just, just in the zone, you know, <laughs> getting in the zone. Okay, so at number five, we have the anti-poaching unit uh, that are not standing for anything anymore. Okay, they're armed and dangerous. Um, the teams have been trained by the military and they are ready for anything. All right, so I reported on this last week that a whole bunch of American military people have left Afghanistan and come to uh, Africa, South Africa, Africa. And they're tr- teaching the anti-poaching units how to track and handle poachers, um, which is pretty damn epic. This, the, I do think it's doing. about time. Like, I'm, I'm surprised that it hasn't been done sooner, and I'm glad that they're finally doing it because, in all honesty, who's the best trained to be able to to fix this? And you, it is the military. So I'm glad that they've come on board, and it is something that they're doing now because I think it can only only help the situation it's it's exciting like i think it's it's a cool um it's a cool thing to see people being proactive in a time where we're hearing all of these horror stories about the animals in in south africa and africa what's bigger than that is last week uh there there was a a guy who is a um game naturist or he takes people on sort of tours okay. um, and his speciality is birding he's talked in England and America about all this birding and, and he was in Botswana on his way home uh, and he took a back road and he hadn't seen another human being for about three hours because he's, he's in a national park yeah. so he's on this back road and he's driving on the back road and the next thing this helicopter swoops down over him, does a 180 degree turn and lands right in front of the car. Can you imagine? That's he, like movie material. <laughs> he said that his heart was beating so fast. All he could do was put his hands up and sort of... Op- surrender. I surrender. I don't know what I've done, but I surrender. <laughs> he opened the door with his knee, put his hands up and sort of climbed out the car. Three armed military guys anti-poaching units, jumped out of the helicopter and they guns pointed at him made their way towards him. They searched his vehicle. They looked for his permits. They found out what he was doing there. And when they, when they realized that he was of no harm yeah, whatsoever, no threat. no threat, he was just sort of eating his lunch, busy driving <laughs> home. Um, they, they were very polite, uh, but they climbed back in the helicopter and made their way away. But that's good. And the thing is, it's actually good that it's happening like to people that are non-poachers as well, because it all, it almost gets the word out. Do you know what I mean? Because then that story is going to be told. We've just told it now. So people are going to hear the story. So hopefully, I, I don't think it's going to stop poachers just by word of mouth. But do you know what I mean? People might be a little bit more nervous about going out knowing that they're actually doing it. No, totally. The military's in there. They're and teaching they are them how to track. You. They're watching you. And, and that's a cool story. And it's one of the stories that we're trending last week. Um, and it's, he's got the coolest photo. I'll repost it today, uh, of the helicopter. I think he must have taken it when they were taking off because there was no chance yeah. he was hitting his camera before that. He's like, I'm not touching nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I ain't getting shot for nothing. No. So, yeah, cool stories. They are looking after our animals, which is super, super exciting. Nikki, what's at number four? Okay, number four. We have the bride and groom that spend their wedding day feeding 4,000 Syrian refugees instead of their wedding guests. Are you joking? I am not. I do not joke. <laughs> 
Are you kidding? I am not. I am not telling a word of a lie. Yeah, a Turkish bride and groom decided to share their joy on their wedding day by inviting four thousand Syrian refugees refugees to eat with them and celebrate in the southern Turkish city of Kilis. See, that's cool because, like, how much money do you spend at a wedding? I mean, I'm I'm not married, but I know like they're flipping expensive. As soon as you mention the word wedding, the cost of everything goes up. Yeah, like catering and everything. So to actually spend that money on something more worthwhile, and at the end of the day, I mean, yes, okay, so it is nice to have the dinner and everything with with everybody at the wedding, but. That yeah. was a better cause. Well, they, they, the couple decided to do it together and their whole thinking was that, is that it's so expensive. Um, we can choose to feed our entire family or we can do something good. We can, we can do something and give back. And I think that's what, what it's about. That's yeah. what the difference is. It's about giving back. So they did that and it's turned out to be a special moment for them both. Um, they're feeding again. I will repost this so you can see it. They are feeding these people out of like a food truck in their wedding gear. That's so cool. So they got married with all of their family in the church and then they said, cheers. Thanks guys. Have a good day. And they went off to this food truck in their wedding kit and fed 4,000 people. Yeah, that's cool. That's ideas for our wedding, maybe, next. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> Hashtag change one thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the way I'm going. That's what I'm going to do. That's how I'm going. Number three, what do we have Okay, number three? Okay, number three, uh, dad gets a tattoo to match his daughter's cochlear implant. All right, so these things, um, the, the, the tattoo for your kids is something that a lot of parents do. If your kid is going through something, we've reported on it before, there was that child in the UK who had burn marks all over her legs. Yeah, and the dad. The and dad the pa- and the, both the, parents. Yeah, yeah. The dad and the mom. They went and got the same, uh, it was like red pants. Patches tattooed identical to their daughters all over their legs in the same space to just prove to them doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter. That's got nothing to do with who you are. Doesn't matter. So this dad, um, the little girl is she's got one of those pink hearing aids that sit behind your ear, and it's got basically they need to do an operation where they implant uh, a screw into your brain it's quite hectic but it's towards the back of your head and that screw then gets connected into your hearing aid technology is amazing and that amplifies the sound to bypass your ear and go straight into your brain basically that's amazing yeah it's a a, we we, i met a guy for his life when i was recently there and um, he was having it done here his iphone was able to um log into his implant that's insane yeah so if your hearing is like if your settings are not right then you can just log on with your <laughs> iphone so you can be like oh the wife's nagging turn it down <laughs> <laughs> i don't want to hear you put it down yeah so this little girl's got this contraption on her head because it's not, it's not something small it's there and it must be hard for a kid yeah of course to come to terms with that and like ki- other kids are mean being at school like it's not like in a grown-up world, grown-ups, I mean, okay, grown-ups are also mean, but they're mean in a more discreet way. Kids are like openly mean. Totally, totally. So the dad's had the exact replica tattooed on his bald head. So you can see the whole contraption there, but it's tattooed onto his head. That's cool. You know. I like that. I like that. I like it when, when parents do Support stuff. their kids. Support their kids. It's so yeah. cool. Cool to see. Okay, so at number two, we have a major U.S. city has made it mandatory for pet stores to only sell rescued animals. Why have we not done this years ago? I don't know why. Like, okay, I know people want pure breed dogs and then leave that for the breeders. Do you know what I mean? Like, find the breeder, go direct to the breeder and get from the breeder if you want a pure breed. Why do they not sell, like, you know, mixed breed, rescue dogs, stray dogs or whatever in pet shops instead? So what has happened along the way is the whole pet 
industry has become an, an, a lucrative industry. It fuels our economy. Yeah. So a lot of people have, have created what they call <laughs> puppy mills or puppy farms. Yeah. Where they, where their dogs literally churn out puppies and they feed these puppies, not feed them, that's terrible. They, they sell these puppies in the pet stores. Of course. That's how the, the companies are making money. If we had to put a lockdown and go enough, we're rather going to go to Fora, Irwin's, all of these uh, these shelters, SBCA, and we're going to put those dogs in the pet stores. It would completely change. It, it it changes one thing to change everything. Of course, and also it means that the SPCA's aren't as busy, so they're able to go out and and maybe deal with you know bigger problems, um, and actually be able to look after the animals that are there properly and take them in and not have to you know oh if they haven't been rehomed after so many months or whatever then they get put down. Like it's it it would increase that there wouldn't be these dogs that are shame, just shame <laughs> used as shame. sex slaves to make puppies. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> sex slaves in the dog world to just you know produce puppies just to make money. Also, that's where all the interbreeding has come from, where you have all these dogs that are now, I mean, Alsatians that are prone to having bad hips and do you know all these bad traits that the that the pure breeds now have. To be fair, I. My dog is not a pure breed. She's a very much a pavement special. Um, actually, we rescued her from running on the highway. So, oh wow, yeah. I mean, we weren't we weren't looking for a dog uh, at the time, and um, my boyfriend was driving down the N14 highway, and she was running on the highway. So he stopped, picked her up, and she wasn't microchipped. So. Was she was she already a puppy or no? No, she's a puppy puppy. I mean, okay. she was. I think when we took her to the vets, um, they, they weren't really sure. When I took her back, I took two weeks ago to go get fixed. So she can't have puppies. Um, and they said then that she's about a year old and we've had her for about probably about nine months now. So she was about three months old when we got her. That's amazing. So, well, when we found her. So, you know, like it's, you wouldn't have that because the places where the dogs would be going, I mean, we don't know how or why she got there, but still. Yeah. No, see, I would always go for a pavement special. I love a good pavement special. A little rescue dog. Yeah. A little rescue dog. That's amazing, Nix. That's why you're, that's why you are official, very (laughs) English. It's my little good news story there. Good news correspondence. (laughs) What do we have at number one? Um, at number one, we have the rural South African goes from dusty streets to achieving 34 distinctions at the Oxford University. I specifically, when we, when we looked at this headline, we left out his name because Nikki would not be able to pronounce it. Yeah. To be fair, if you had to put his name in there, I probably wouldn't have said it anyway. I've just been like, a South African. <laughs> All right. So this kid's name is Ntokozo Kwabe. Let's try say that. Uh, uh, I'm going to pass on that one. <laughs> incredible, incredible inspirational story. So this kid grew up in the rural streets of KwaZulu-Natal. No money. Um, he was one of 13 children. Wow. It's, I mean, at, at one stage, that was a big thing is that the cultures were having a lot of kids. Um, and he was part of that boom uh, that he was one of 13 children. At the age of five, his parents enrolled him to a local, co- local school called Stitilo Primary School in KwaZulu Natal. Okay. And in grade nine, his dad got a job at like a model C school high school. Okay. So his dad uh, tended the gardens inside the school, but he got a place to stay. And it gave his kid the opportunity to go to now a Model C school. Oh, that's cool. One of the hardest things um, that Nkozo had was that he couldn't speak English because he'd come from a, a school that had taught him in his mother tongue. Okay. So he got to the school, couldn't speak English. The kids mocked him. Um, he, he's got stories here of how when he when he would 
but they would be finished with the day. They'd all be like, go home. Oh, no, this is your home. Nasty kids. Shame. Yeah, it's like what we were saying before. Nasty kids. But he never, ever, ever let that affect him. He never let that affect him. All he kept thinking is, I've been given this great opportunity to really get a good education. So he focused on getting that good education. He, um, he matriculated with one of some of the best marks in the school. Wow. He applied for university, uh, financial aid to help him through university. He wanted to study law. Um, but one of the things, and I've never thought about this because he got the financial aid, but one of the things that, that he couldn't do was afford to actually look after himself. So here's the money for schooling. Yeah, but then how do you, where, where does your Food. rent come from? Food come from? So he battled with all of that. And, and in the first year, he, he felt that he couldn't concentrate on his studies. So, and he didn't want to mess around this, this opportunity that he had, he had been given. So he stopped studying. And he started being a, a trolley. You know those trolley guys when you go to a, st- a store? Yeah. So he started pushing trolleys. From pushing sh- trolleys, he got promoted to a bag packer at like a checkers. Yeah. And then he became a teller. Okay. At the checkers. Um, and that afforded him to be able to look after, to put a bit of money away, to look after himself. He then reapplied for finance. Um, and he was given, which is also a very controversial subject, but a Rhodes Scholarship. Okay. You remember is... the Rhodes statue and all of that stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. So that was part of that. He got a Rhodes scholarship and, and that afforded him to f- study in Cape Town, which he did. His marks were so good that the International Rhodes Foundation took him to Oxford. Sure. To go finish his studies. He, in his time that he studied, has got 34 degrees. Wow. <laughs> 34 degrees. And apparently the UK law degree is one of the hardest in the world. I can imagine. And he's he's now a top-notch lawyer. He's he's got his degree. He's gone back to England to do his masters, and he wants to do his masters in in public policy. Sure. And his aim is to come back to South Africa and give back and do good for the disadvantaged communities. Yeah, that's nice. It's the most phenomenal story. It really does just it, you know you are not you you're not what your circumstances that try to define you as. Yes, that, and that's a. Good example of having really bad circumstances, but not letting it ju- like define who you're going to be. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is who I am now, but it doesn't mean this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. His, um, his mom flew over to uh, the UK when he got his uh, degree. Uh, they call it cum laude because he, he was the highest uh, marks earner. And his mom had never left uh, their little rural town in KwaZulu-Natal. So climbing on a plane and all of this was really big for her. But she went over to go and be with her son. That's amazing. How mad. And it's also, you know, it's a big thing to go and to go and live overseas without anybody. He you know what? It's all about getting the job done. It's yeah. all about doing it right. And it's all about getting he he knows what he wants. He's going for it. And that is our top trending story on social media this week. Um off the South African page, it's already had two million views. Sure. Yeah. That's insane. Why? Because South Africans love good news. Yeah. That's really what it is about. This is the good stuff. Choice. Sometimes you have it, and sometimes you don't. AutoTrader gives you the choice. Now you can shop, compare, and buy new cars. Watch our expert video reviews and research before you buy. AutoTrader New Car. The choice is yours. Stand a chance to buy a brand new mystery car for just 99 cents. You heard right, 99 cents. Follow the clues on Twitter at AutoTraderSA and use the hashtag 99 cent new car. Nick, if you need a new car, that's the way to do it. I don't know if you do. 
Well, always looking for a new car. <laughs> Little M3 Jeep. Nah, I'd, I'd, like, I'd go with the 4x4 route, maybe Land Rover. Yeah? Yeah. You're quite hardcore here. Yeah, well, I've got horses. You know, a little car doesn't tell a horse fuck. So. This is true. This is true. All right, so our weekly great, our inspiration for this week is an organization called JAM International, and we'll hear more about it right now. JAM is an aid organization that has been around for 31 years, working in South Sudan, Angola, Mozambique, Rwanda, and South Africa. The first priority is feeding children. In the other African countries, they work in malnutrition clinics, schools, and refugee camps. We have David Brown, the MD for JAM, joining us in studio to tell us more about this amazing initiative. Welcome to the show, David. Hi, Brent. Thank you so much. Hi, Nikki. Hey. Welcome, really good to be here. Welcome to the good stuff. Thank you. All right, if you could just come closer to the mic, just sure. so we can get you a little bit close up there. Um, can you tell me more about Jam and, and this amazing work that you do? I have been, uh, what do you call it, stalking the website. So okay. I have looked at it a little bit, but I think coming from your mouth will be a bit better. Okay, well, let me go back. You mentioned 31 years. 1984, our founder, Peter Pretorius, got stranded in Mozambique at a place called Villanculos. And he was there for 10 days with no food, no water, no change of clothing. And they were burying about 30 children and 30 people a day who were dying of starvation. And so what he did is he then committed to looking after particularly the children. And he started the work of JAM in Mozambique then. So he used the resources he had in order to do that, but soon had to go and find resource around the world to overcome the issues of this massive drought and starvation in Mozambique. And that was the founding of JAM. We then extended to Angola, where we were invited by the Angolan government to assist as well, and uh, started operations on the ground there. Then into Rwanda, and that was post the genocide in 1994, and built an orphanage for 700 children, but helped with the uh, really looking after about 12,000 displaced children that had to be reunited with communities and families. Then into uh, South Sudan, um, which was in the midst of a civil war between North and South at that time. We started our work, uh, working out of Kenya, doing airdrops into South Sudan, and then established uh, a presence in South Sudan. So really exciting work, and it's a privilege to be able to do the kind of work that we do. But there's just such a massive need, as you were saying earlier, in Africa with the starvation levels that we have. Look, it is. Um, if we look at the statistics, they speak for themselves. It's It's scary it's scary to see how many children adults are not getting the the basic food every day yeah Brent, um, it, it really is those statistics if i can take you through some south african statistics because people really i think many south africans don't understand the the, the how serious the issue is in south africa in south africa we have somewhere around 26 percent of children under nine years old suffering from stunting what, what is stunting? Stunting means they are not getting enough nutrition for proper brain development or physical development. That means that those children cannot learn properly. They cannot play properly. And if something's not done about that, it means we will have a 25% anchor, if you like, on this country and on this economy going into the future. So that's why we say our first priority is feeding the children because we have to overcome that. We have to do something to allow those children to have a fair chance in South Africa. So you, you were saying just before we went on air that you feed over a million kids a day. 
That's correct. We feed over a million. That's in Africa. So that's Angola, Mozambique, South Sudan, Rwanda, and South Africa. In South Africa, we're feeding over 63,000 children every day. Those are preschool children, under six-year-old children. I know I've got a friend of mine who works for a government uh, school inside like a location. And some of those kids, when they come to school, it could be part of your feeding program. I'm not too sure. But when they come to school, that's the only meal they get every day. One meal. And it's it's usually something quite small. Yeah, Brent, some years back, the South African government and the education department took responsibility for feeding uh, the most poverty-stricken children in schools and in primary schools. So our feeding is the preschools. We look at the children under six before they get to school. Um, and part of the reason for that is uh, some years back we did some research and we found that children of six years old, so five to six years old, who were going to be going into primary school the next year, we found that on average they could recognize less than three letters of the alphabet. So they're going into primary school, into grade one, at an incredible disadvantage. I can remember, and I always tell the story, I can remember my daughter going into grade one and coming home the first day of grade one so excited because she could read a book. But she had the, 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 she was a fortunate child to have that preparatory work done with word recognition, letter recognition, so she could just go straight into grade one and have that literacy that was necessary for learning. Is that, you've just mentioned your own children, is that what inspired you to be part of JAM? Or what was the inspiration behind yeah, my, that? My history with JAM is I've known the founders for, since the organization was founded. In fact, Peter's wife, Anne, is my sister. And so I've known the organization for 31 years. Um, I had a, a large international consultancy, and I used to do pro bono work working with them as they grew the organization. And then have had the privilege seven years ago to uh, go full time and to do this work and make sure that children are looked after. It's it's a double edged sword because what you're doing is fantastic and it it must feel good to be able to help the amount of people that you do. But in the same breath, there's always just so many more people in need. It's all, that yeah. there's always that need. I find that um, I actually did a post on Facebook last week about something that I've I've called charity fatigue, where I just felt like I wasn't getting to everybody. Um, and then I don't know, you get inspiration from somewhere, and it kicks you up the bum, and and you do it all again. Yeah, no, absolutely. When when you see when we go to so so what we do in South Africa is we work on four pillars. Number one is that the children have nutrition, so they can play, they can learn, and they can get an education for primary schooling. But in order to do that in the education, most of these children are in care centers or early childhood development centers that the conditions are horrific. They are cold in winter, freezing cold, wet when it's rainy, incredibly hot in summer, dark, dangerous, corrugated iron shacks. And so we work to try and change that infrastructure and uh, get a surroundings for that child, which is safer and more conducive to education. The third pillar we work on is getting the education for those children because the children are looked after by some incredibly committed and dedicated members of our population, mamas or caregivers as we call them, but they're not teachers. And so what we work is to get funding to train them to be early childhood development practitioners so that they can tra- train and teach the children. 
And then our fourth pillar is working with the community to get the parental parental support, to get the community support from community leaders, from the various departments and municipal authorities in the area to support early childhood development so that we can turn this around. Really fantastic work. Um, what are your plans for the future? Because you've got all these programs on the ground currently. Um, what's the bigger picture? Well, the first has always got to be more. We're feeding more than 63,000 children every day in South Africa. The estimates are 2.5 million are going to bed hungry. So we have to get to those. And to me, that's vital. We, we feed a child in South Africa for 360 rand a year. That's 30 rand a month. And I have to believe, and what keeps me going, is I have to believe we can find 2.5 million South Africans, each of whom can look after one child at 30 rand a month. Well, that, that's something that I believe in, is the collective thought of the communities need to look after each other. And if people are the problem, then people are the solution. If our governments can't do it, we have to jump in and do it. If everybody, Correct. I mean, there are, there are 60 million South Africans or something, stupid, the number. If all of us could just give a little bit back, it would make the world of difference to the next generation. You'd have, you'd have these kids that are fed, that are able to learn, and um, that are able to actually, you give them that opportunity to become something. Quite correct. And Brent, that's why we work on not just giving out food. We really, we work on, in, in most parts of Africa, on what we call a food for education platform. And that means the children will get fed if they are in an educational institution, if they attend school. That encourages the attendance. It, it, it improves absenteeism rates, so reduces absenteeism. It improves the longevity of that child at a school. And to us, then, that's not just handing out. That is really making a change because with education, our problems can be solved. Wow. You're doing amazing work. Um, how do our listeners get involved? If, if they have that 360 bucks that they want to give to you right now, how do they get involved? Okay. One of the easiest ways is to go onto our website. Our website is jam-southafrica.org, jam-southafrica.org, and there are places there that they can donate. But there are many other ways of getting involved. We uh, talked about doing these upgrades of facilities. Had an incredible experience again two weeks ago. We had a group from Norway here. Plus we had a local organization called Gabston Technologies. They joined forces with the, with that group from, sorry, it was from Canada. They joined forces and did a major upgrade and renovation of an early childhood development center. So corporates can do that and they can get, uh, broad-based black economic uh, empowerment scorecard points for doing that. Uh, they can help with the training of the teachers. In order to train the teachers, require donations. So they can share their wallets. They're sharing the money and paying it. But they can share their time of volunteering and coming and doing work on site of renovating centers. And then they can share their network. You know, I've, I'm continually looking for what we term jambassadors. Very Kevin, very catchy name. Very catchy every, name. Everybody, well, they can become part of the Jamily, if you like, and be jam ambassadors. <laughs> and then they can get out there and find others who can also support children. So we have a, a lovely, a, a lovely lady. Her name's Melanie Phillips, who recently started up something for us called Red Striders. And she got a, a group of people doing one of the walks in, in, in this, in South Africa. 
Should I mention another radio you, station? No, we don't. We, this is unradio. You can do whatever you, <laughs> you want. You can do anything, yeah. So she got a team of people uh, uh, doing the 947 walk for a purpose, which is great. We have the uh, Red Riders already who uh, who, who do the uh, 947 wow. ride as well for it. So people can do that time, and they get others to sponsor them. So it's not that we're alone. Certainly one person can certainly feed one child or even more. But if they get their network of people involved, then they can just multiply and multiply it. Absolutely amazing. I am going to repost all of these links onto my social media sites and we'll put it on the website so that people can get hold of you. Uh, phenomenal work you're doing. And um, we're going to follow your story because I'd like to see where this goes. Great. Thank you so much. Thanks for giving me the time. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. I hope there are more ambassadors out there now. Ambassadors, <laughs> get in touch. I'm going to put that onto our social media sites. This is the good stuff on Cliff Central. Say something, say something like that. Who's that? I have no idea. <laughs> Mumford and Sons. You just, just broke breaking the desk. The just broke the desk. <laughs> that's, that's how we roll here at Cliff Central. Just, if it, if it don't work, just break it. Just break it down. All right. So this week's give a lot, our charity idea is in studio with us. And, um, he's part of something called the Panda Crew. We're going to find out why it's called that. And he's going to tell us how we can get involved to make a difference in South Africa. Sebastian, welcome. Hi, how are you? <laughs> Good, you? It's not your first time on Cliff Central. You're no, fast no, becoming a regular. Time. Yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> All right, so you, um, you have this initiative called the Panda Crew. Yes. Why is it called the Panda Crew? Why it's called the Panda Crew is, um, with my chemotherapy, uh, my mother brought my first panda. And, um, that's where the Panda Crew comes from. The, the name. Yeah, the name. And um, the Panda Crew itself, what is this initiative? What, what What is it that you guys do? The thing is what we want to do is we want to motivate people to do something brilliant for a community. Do it, Do something, make a change. Because we want to try to motivate people because... We need to start start standing together. Well, that that's. I mean, I was just talking about it now. If we're going to get through this, we have to work together. That's the most to. important part. That's the best thing. We have to start. If we can start um, working together and stuff, then we won't have all of these problems. Totally. Yeah. Totally. What are some of the um, projects that you're currently busy with? The current project we're busy with is uh, Lebohong Primary School. It's a year project. We are trying to uh, rebuild uh, and revamp the whole school because the the school that the guys are in, it's 53 kids. It was horrific the first day I walked in there. So we're trying to get the whole structure together and repainting the whole school and starting up a vegetable garden so the guys can start um, be self-sustainable, you know, teach them how to grow tomatoes and beans and all that. Type of where, stuff. where is the school based? It's about 19 kilometers from Sasselberg yeah. um, and about 19 kilometers from Paris. So it's in the center. Oh wow! Yeah. And um, how did you find out about the school? Because I mean, you're working quite closely with the one school now. Well, what is the? How did you find out about them? Um, I got a phone call from a very um, amazing lady, Monica, and she said, "Like Sebastian, I really need to talk to you." And I'm like, "Okay." And she said, "I will you just come through to the church?" And I said, "Okay." The next morning, I went through, and she said, "You know what? I'm not going to tell you about it. I'm going to show you." So I just jumped in the car with her, and we arrived at the school. She said, "This is my dream. I want to fix the school." I'm like, okay, let's do this. Let's and it do was, it. Together, let's yeah. make it work. Let's do it. It's, it's all it about us. It was unbelievable the response of people we had. We had about 60 people that arrived that day to come and help us paint and revamp that whole school. Wow. And these people I've never met before. And it was amazing. That is incredible. I've also found that when, when I do certain charity gigs, yeah. I put out, I put it out on social media. Yeah. 
people want to do good. It is. They're it, looking for that platform to be able to do good. Especially with us, we've got a lot of responsive people that wants to help us. And the mornings when I wake up, it's about 200 emails. Is how can I get involved? And I'm like, okay, I really need to reply to all of those mails and stuff. So, <laughs> but it's really is brilliant. And I just want to thank all of those people because it's amazing how you can see how many people want to start working together. Absolutely amazing. How, um, wh- before I get to that, what are your plans for the future? So you've got the school, um, you've got other projects. What are your plans for the future for the Panda Crew? Okay. Uh, the thing is what I'm doing in September. I'm traveling to Thailand. I'm going to go visit five schools. Um, <laughs> we've got a lot of volunteers that want to come and help in Africa. So I'm going to recruit 12, um, kids from Thailand to come and help us in December. Wow. So I'm trying to get it international and there's a lot of European people that wants to come and help us as well. Well, that's the thing I've seen. Um, I went to a home in Soweto called the, the Bo- Boys and Girls Home. I think that's Boys and okay. Girls Crew or something. Yeah. And that is run by American volunteers yeah. who come yeah. over for like a year to work on these projects and to help people in South Africa. It just shows you other people wants to help us, you know. That's, totally, totally. And that needs to motivate South Africans to start helping each other. Absolutely amazing. How do people get in touch with you? And how do they, if um, they want to become part of the pandas, how do they send an email? Where do they send it to? Okay, we have a Facebook page and we have a web page as well. as pandacrew.co.za. And we're on Facebook as well and on Twitter. Um, I know you're on Twitter. I've I seen know. you on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> we're spamming each other <laughs> well i'll keep i'll keep tweeting you and i'll keep retweeting your tweets oh, i think thanks. the work that you're doing is amazing um and it is that easy people need a platform to do something next it is like that right it is i mean i think that especially the international thing it, it's big in the uk and america you know to yeah. to do in the summer break you know i mean the kids or university or whatever they get six weeks off and you know i know i know a lot of people a friend of mine's actually um doing it this summer she is I cannot remember where she is, which is really bad. But she's doing the same, you know. She's she's gone and she's helping out at an orphanage and and helping build help build their um their school and stuff like that. So it's big overseas to do that. Well, this yeah. I mean, this is our change. One thing for today, actually, I'm just gonna I'm gonna wing it. Throw the show notes show notes out. <laughs> our change one thing is to get involved. We've had two incredible incredible organizations on the show today who are really making a difference in South Africa. And if you have the time, the resources, or the money to get involved, um, go check me out on Twitter, BrendanDeCue or CliffCentral.com and get involved. Yeah. It's that easy. And the thing is, if the people want to see tomorrow, um, tomorrow night we see, uh, featuring on Quela. And they can actually see what we are doing. Wow. Um, and we need some extra pandas as well. So I you would, do, you do need more pandas. I need more pandas. You I mean, pandas. and currently we're on 10,000 and I need more. <laughs> 10,000 pandas. Yes. <laughs> well, it's absolutely amazing. I am in awe of the work you do and just Thanks, keep it up. Man. Like it's really flippin' cool to see South Africans caring about South Africans. Yeah. Really cool. I'm going to post all of those, uh, all of those uh, links onto my social media and all over the place. Um, it has been an absolutely epic show. Nix, I love having you in studio. I love being in studio. Nikki really, she nearly missed today because she nearly lost her voice. She was this close. I, well, on Saturday, I didn't have a voice at all. So if no. it had been Saturday, I definitely wouldn't have been here. When she called me on uh, Sunday, I didn't, I couldn't hear you. You had to text. I was like, what are you saying? No, I was like talking like this little bit messy but it has been great uh, this is the good stuff on cliff central if you want to catch up with this podcast or any of the other podcasts you can visit cliffcentral.com or you can go over to itunes 
Just search for the good stuff. We're there as well. Just search it. Just search it. And also our social media. It'll be all over there as well. Um, it's been great. As always, we need to stay motivated. We need to inspire others. We're in this together. And the only way we'll get through this together. I'm going to leave you with a little bit of a quote like I always do. Because that's how I roll. <laughs> on the good stuff. You must give everything to make your life as beautiful as the dreams that dance in your imagination. That was sent to me over the weekend. That's so nice. And it is. Work hard and it'll pay itself off. It'll come back to you. I like that. Absolutely amazing. It has been epic. It's a four-day week. Have an absolute jewel. Thanks and only good things. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. Cliffcentral.com